Welcome to a new edition of the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino. On this episode, we talk with coach, speaker, educator, mentor, and author, the great Tom Caresti. He has plenty of stories about leadership, sales, culture, teams, failure, and success. He recently launched his leadership book, C-Suite and Beyond. The book captures 30 years of stories and C-Suite across the globe. Essentially, he is an industry influencer who adds value to individuals and helps companies reach their highest potential through life-changing leadership principles. We get into all of this and so much more. Enjoy the interview. So let's get into the interesting part here. And the first thing I want to ask you is this. You seem like a very busy guy, a guy that's driven by community. How did you survive COVID? How did you get through that time period and how did it change you now that we're emerging out of it i i kind of ignored all the stuff with covid it, it was um you know people kind of didn't want to see you and um with the power of zoom and other online tools you could still continue to meet with individuals um in fact to a certain extent it was easier because you can get a much broader, much bigger audience really anywhere in the world. You are not kind of, you know, limited to a, a physical presence. So maybe, you know, pre-COVID I would be in a room with a couple hundred people and then post-COVID I could be on a, a Zoom call or a podcast or YouTube or whatever with thousands of people all over the world. So it was actually where uh, the old saying is, you know, through adversity comes opportunity. And uh, that was really basically my mindset is to say, look, I'm I'm not going to shut down. I'm not going to hide. I'm not going to be scared. I'm going to continue living my life. And, um, you know, oddly enough, uh, I'm, I'm in my 60s. So I was kind of waiting in the queue to get my uh, vaccination. And then I was talking to a friend of mine and says, well, before you get your vaccination, because it's impossible to get anyway, why don't you go for antibodies tests? So I went for an antibody test, and it turned out I had the antibodies. So I had COVID even not knowing I had COVID. I was one of those systematic people. And then when the second strain came around, which was the Omicron, but everybody was complaining about, I got it again, and it was like a bad cold. That You know, that was it. So, um, you know, everybody reacts differently to COVID. You know, I was one of the individuals who was unique in the sense that I was asystematic, but I think there's probably 50, 60, 70 million people that were the same. You know, they just, they just got it. They never knew they had it. Yeah, that's the mystery of it for sure. You know, the other thing too about you is that there's a lot of things on paper that you do, but I'm going to boil it down to kind of something that's digestible here, and I'm going to do this. I'm going to take you in front of a group of third graders at a career day. One of the kids looks up and says, what do you do for a living, and how are you qualified to do it? How would you answer that? Some people have jobs, some people have careers, and some people get to live their calling. And I I think, you know, the key to a happy, maybe, and I don't know how you define success, because everybody defines success a little bit differently, but I think the key to having a happy and a successful life is to live your calling, whatever that is. Um, so don't kind of focus on just getting a job so you have a paycheck so you can pay your bills. Um, even a career, uh, career is more about, you know, kind of you and, and your journey. And I think when you get to live your calling, then you realize it's not about you. It's just about something much bigger than you, which is your calling. And 
it's really adding value to society, adding value to other people, um, rather than having a self-centered life, which is maybe a career or, or um, you know, just a job. So when you were a kid, what did you want to do when you grew up? Well, that's a damn good question. When I was a kid, um, I wanted to play soccer. <laughs> But, uh, so, you know, I, I love sports, but then, you know, in a pretty short period of time, I figured out that I'm just too short to be a professional sports guy. Um, and then my father was an engineer, so I went to engineering school. And I was a, kind of ahead of my curve because for my generation, uh, I think the average was 2.3 career changes in your lifetime. And I probably did about five or six, um, you know, in the boomer, in the baby boomer age. I mean, many, many people started working for a company. I first company I worked for was Colgate Pomala. Then they had a magic number of 85. So between your age and your years of service, if you hit 85, you retired at 100%. Uh, so many people, you know, were able to retire. That was their first job. And, you know, in their mid fifties, they were retiring and, you know, moving on and maybe, you know, starting another career or doing something else with their life. So, um, and that was common back then. You, you you worked for a company all your life and you retired and you got the golden watch. Um, I probably switched careers about, you know, five times, which was about double the average for, for my generation. And, you know, in today's generation, Generation Z, uh, my goodness, you know, people stick it to a company for maybe a year and a half and then moving on and, and trying something new and something new one just came across uh, uh tim elmore just uh, published a book on different types of diversity and, and really looks um at the different generation gaps because in many companies today you have you know baby boomers and generation z and everything in between so how do they get along how do they learn from each other how do they work together uh it's a pretty interesting um you know read and a pretty interesting mastermind to to run at a company to say okay well you got all these generations they view the world very differently and um you know how do we get them to to work with each other appreciate each other and and get along so you're a jack of many trades and you're obviously a highly motivated person living what the way you want to live your life how did this begin for you how did these these, these motivational seeds begin for you early on in your life for me early on in my life you know i I always found myself in leadership roles, you know, for whatever reason. I don't know. It, it was, you know, whether I was on, you know, my, you know, sports team in high school or in college, uh, even before that, um, you know, I was always, you know, captain or MVP or something like that. And then, you know, my first job was always leading projects, you know, and, and the way I would phrase it is, um, in many times you walk into a situation and there's a leadership vacuum, you know, you just, you're in a room with a bunch of people and, and nobody takes the lead. And my tendency is to always step in and take the lead if there's, if there's no leadership there. Or if there's weak, you know, if there's weak leadership, I'll have the tendency to step in and, and take over leadership of, of a situation, of a, of a team, of a project, or, you know, whatever that may be. And uh, early on in my career, it was, um, you know, I had a very self-centered approach. You know, it was about me, about my success. Um, yes, the project was successful because I took ownership of it and I made it successful, but it was really self-centered driven. And then later on in life, you know, probably when I got into my, you know, late 30s, mid 30s, uh, early 40s, I, I figured that really it's, it shouldn't be about me. 
it should be about others. It should be about something much bigger than me. So then I shifted focus, and what drove me was other people's success, um, you know, a big picture success rather than my success. And I realized that if if other people were successful, then by association, because I made them successful, I was also successful. And, um, you know, if, if a larger cause was successful and it was one of the causes that I was spiriting, then, then by association, again, I was successful. And I used to say my easiest job was when I was a CEO because when I was a CEO, it really just boiled down to making sure that everybody's living a culture, making sure that everybody understands what the vision is and, and what their particular um, uh, association or what their particular uh, contribution, I should say, to that vision is. Uh, you know, how do they deliver in that? How do they make the strategic plan work? And it was really just my job as a CEO to equip them to make sure that they had assets, they had, you know, training, they had the contacts, you know, all that stuff. So I just lived my life serving them and supporting them to make sure they were successful. And, and if, as my team was successful and as my company successful, therefore I was, I was successful. So the focus went off me and went on to others, and, and I just found that's a much easier way to, uh, to achieve things. So as a leader, you, you obviously respect that leadership role. Who's been a role model or a hero for you consistently in your life? I had a couple. Uh, early on in my career, I had this uh, gentleman, uh, Dr. Frank Morelli. He was the first servant leader that I, I ever met. I, I didn't even know what servant leadership was on, until later on in life. I kind of pieced it together. So, yes, Frank was definitely a servant leader way back then. So I learned a lot from him. Um, I learned a lot from uh, the CEO of Bethlehem Bank Geezer. Uh, his name was Bart Beck. Uh, he was a really down-to-earth guy. You know, he reached CEO status of a, of a very large company. And um, he was just down-to-earth. It was common sense. And then um, another gentleman uh, who was my boss, uh, he was uh, Eric Zwigelman. He, he was a very good judge of character and people. And he, and he I called him the people whisperer. So extremely intelligent guy, but, you know, great, you know, people skills as well. Uh, for the last, you know, maybe 10, 15 years, John Maxwell uh, has been my mentor. He's a, you know, pretty, um, I would say, down-to-earth, uh, really big-picture guy. I mean, he, he paints a big picture with some very simple statements that are, you know, life-changing and, you know, he's a, he's a great guy that I've learned and, and he's mentored me. So it's not one individual, but, you know, probably I can boil it down to a handful. So if you can meet anybody alive on the planet right now and talk to them for a few minutes, who would it be? Who would you love to meet? Well, let me answer that question a little bit differently. You know, I'd love to sit down on a park bench with, you know, Jesus Christ because he was the biggest servant leader of all time. He, he kind of taught humanity what servant leadership is all about. Um, you know, how to level that one another and how to respect one another. Um, love to kind of get an earful from him. <laughs> and, uh, you know, d- depending on, you know, who you talk to, some people say he's with us and is alive, and some people say he's a fictional character and you're, you know, you're drinking, you know, you're drinking the Kool Aid when you talk about him. So, you know, we're all over the place about his, you know, presence or what he is, but, um, you know, I-, I love to get an earful because, you know, the fact is, you know, he started off as an individual and, and he had, 
you know, 12 disciples uh, way back, you know, a couple of thousand years ago. And, and whether you are, you know, whether you believe in Christ or you don't believe in Christ, the fact is uh, almost half the earth, you know, almost half the population on this earth, um, you know, is a Christian in some form or another today. So that, that's a pretty good movement. You know, what, whether you what, whether you say he was the son of God or he wasn't a son of God, either way, that's, that, that's pretty spectacular that, you know, he's got, you know, half the population of the world following him. Uh, and he just started off as an individual and, you know, with 12 followers. Something that we can learn from. Yeah, for sure. So this question isn't about regret. It's more about what you've learned over your life. And let's say you have a dream tonight. You run into the younger version of yourself. And you can give that 20-year-old version a piece of advice based on the wisdom you've gained throughout your life. What would you tell your younger version? You know, I, I wish I would have figured out when I was 20 that it's not about me. You know, like I said to you early on in my career, I, I was very self-centered. I thought it was all about me. Uh, I always had good people skills, and I always had, um, you know, good drive. But I I used that, and manipulation is not the good word, but I used that to my advantage. I, I used my people skills to get people on board with my ideas, with my things that I wanted to achieve, and uh, it wasn't, on, like I said, in later in life that I realized that it, it's not about me. It's about something much bigger than me. And if, if if somebody said early on in my life, hey, you know, Tom, it's not about you. It's something much bigger than you. That that would have been, you know, some good advice. Um, I wish somebody would have come to me at, at, at when I was the age 20 and say, Tom, what is the vision for your life? You know, you know, what are you going to be doing 40, 50, 60 years from now? What is, what is your vision? What's What's going to be your legacy? Uh, I wish somebody would ask me that question when I was 20, so I would have started thinking about that and working on that much earlier. So big, what you know, is your big, big questions, but simple questions. Yeah, absolutely. So, what is your legacy? Since you mentioned that, what when you when you lean back in your easy chair and think about your life, you know, what do you think your legacy is, or what are you the proudest of? I I kind of like to answer this uh, with. Um, and I think I just mentioned to this, you know, some people have jobs, some people have careers, and some people have callings. Uh, and, you know, how do you find what your calling is? Um, another question maybe somebody should ask me when I was 20 years old and, and said, just simply, Tom, who are you? And uh, as I mentioned to you, I'm a servant leader. But I didn't figure out I was a servant leader until much later in my life. Uh, and then the second question is, Tom, what are you passionate about? And... I'm passionate about making other people better and making companies better, making products better. So I'm passionate about, you know, fixing things and, and then making things better. And then what are you good at, Tom? Uh, I'm pretty good at mentoring and I'm pretty good at leading. Like I mentioned, you know, every time there's a leadership vacuum, I kind of dive in. So um, with the answer to those three questions and clarity in those three questions, um, I can define what my calling is. And then I can live my calling. And it doesn't matter if, um, you know, if let's say, let's for, say, for example, I'm mentoring people. Well, I can mentor my employees and I can mentor my kids, right? Um, I can be a servant leader of my company. I can be a servant leader on the, uh, you know, on an athletic team. I can be a servant leader at work. I can be a servant leader of my customers. I can make my customers better. I can make my company better. I can make my family better. I can make my friends' lives better. So I can use that formula really anywhere I am in life. So that's why I call it a calling rather than a career or a job. And um, now that's what I want my legacy to be. 
that, that people say, hey, you know, I became a better person because I knew Tom. You know, I became a better husband. I became a better father. I became a better executive um, because because the time that I spent with Tom and the things I learned from Tom. So partly because what I do already is music, but more more than that, I think over this pandemic, people really relied on art. What's been like an album or uh, a book or something in the realm of art that's always motivated you that you've returned to in your life? Well, there was a lot of books that motivated me. Um, you know, in fact, I got so, mo- so much motivation, I wrote my own <laughs> book to motivate <laughs> others. Um, but, uh, you know, back around 9-11, um, you know, well, actually before that, Jack Welsh, Straight from the Gut, was a great book. Um, you know, that's kind of when I read that. I One of the things that I took away from that book was uh, up until that point, I, I, I led separate lives in the sense that I was a very professional at work and I kept my relationships at work professional. And, um, you know, I had my social circle. And then after I read Jack's book, how he, you know, spent a lot of time with his direct reports, their families, and, and he kind of tried to form that, you know, family unity in, in his inner circle. Um, the light went on and I said, well, actually, that makes sense because you're spending so much time with your direct reports, with your, you know, inner circle that they should be like family and the wives should get to know each other and the kids should get to know each other. And, and you you know, it just made a lot of sense to me. Um, you know, so that's one of the switches I made after reading, you know, Jack Walsh's book and to say, okay, it's, you know, it's not just, you know, professional relationships, but it's just relationships. And if you have good relationships with the people that you work with and you work for or they work for you, um, it, it just makes things much easier. And look, they, you know, it makes sense because when you have an after-work cocktail power, you know, cocktail party, people kind of loosen up and they get to be a lot more friendly than, you know, doing a conference in a, you know, conference room at work. So, you know, that, that works. Um, you know, Rudy Giuliani during 9-11, um, I think his book was actually called Leadership. You know, I read that book, uh, great book. Uh, it, you know, Rudy, and it's something that I used in my career later on after I read that book. And you know, he was the mayor of the city under under crisis. And and what he did was, you know, he, he, you know, even before the crisis, he would meet with his direct reports once a week. Uh, every every you know once a week, everybody had to be in the room and they had to talk about critical issues. And you know, I I used that formula uh, as I became a senior executive. And and every Monday morning we had a you know, leadership team meeting. Everybody had to be in the room. It was, you know, unless you were on vacation, obviously, or, you know, death in a family. But other than that, you, you had to be in that room. And we kind of reviewed the week before and reviewed the, you know, the week ahead and see what crisis may have come up, what fires we had to fight, et cetera. So that was a mandatory meeting. And then I also then met with each, each, each one of my, you know, direct reports for four hours once a month. It was a one-on-one, and that was an opportunity for them to discuss with me how they need my help, you know, how they need my advice, you know, make sure that whatever that individual was working on or whatever that department that individual was leading, make sure that, you know, things were still on stream, and if they were off stream, you know, what we can do about it and how it can help. So that's kind of stuff that I learned from Rudy Giuliani's book. Uh, learned a lot of things from John Maxwell's book. I mean, I, I read probably about 10 of his books, and you know, he's got... I think 30, but you know, I probably read about 10. They were they're all 
great principles, you know, whether it's the 15 laws of growth or 21 laws of leadership or everyone communicates, uh, few connect. I mean, he's got a lot of great books. Um, Simon Sinek had a new book, um, you know, What's Your Why? That, that's that's a really good book. So there, there's a lot of good books out there, including mine, which is called See Sweet and Beyond, if I, if I could get myself a plug. Absolutely. In fact, that's what I want to do. I want to make sure that uh, we properly get all of the good business out there. Talk to, talk to me a little bit about where the best place is to get your book, find out about you, your services, anything related to your world. Well, C-Suite and Beyond, uh, the Four Keys of Leadership Success, you'll find that on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and uh, probably more, a lot more online stores, but everybody buys books on Amazon, so that's the easiest thing. And, um, you know, once you go to Amazon, I'm blessed with a last name that's very unique. First with a last name that's very unique, uh, K-E-R-E-S-Z-T-I. When you Google that name, you'll find my sister was a doctor in, Boston area, or my two daughters, one is in Salt Lake and one is in uh, Chicago, or me. <laughs> so it's easy to track me down, and um, you can just go to my LinkedIn profile or go to my website, whatever is easier, and just um, drop me a note and say, hey, Tom, I'd love to talk to you about this idea. I'll invest 10 minutes of my time. Well, you, have, you know, I got one of those calendars that you can kind of just book a spot on, and we'll talk 10 minutes and see if I can help you or not. Beautiful, Tom. Hey, man, this has been great. Thank you for opening up. I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to another famous interview with Joe Domino, where we cover the world of art, literature, business, and music around the globe. If you want to hear more interviews, visit the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino channel on YouTube. Thanks again for listening, and until next time. Mm-hmm.